Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning, this is your wake-up call. It's wake-up call 066, then I will teach. Here's the question I want to ask. As Christians, do you and I, as redeemed people, do we have the right, do we have the authority, should we call out sin when we see it? Is that within our reason or right or responsibility? Not to hurt and harm people, that, that's not what I'm saying, but... Should you and I, according to Scripture, should we call out sin for what it is? Hey, that's the question we're going to answer today on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Again, this is your wake-up call, wake-up call 066, entitled, Then I Will Teach. I want to go to Psalms 51. A few weeks ago, I did an episode on the entire chapter of Psalm chapter, or excuse me, rather Psalm 51. Psalms is has no chapters. Psalm is a book of psalms, a book of songs, and so there's not chapters. There are verses, and this is the 51st psalm, and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. I had a, um, I can't exactly remember where it was. Oh, it's just a, eh, you know, the world we live in is, at the time of this recording, it's April, uh, what is it, uh, 17th, 2023. And we live in a world that sometimes it's hard to know what is real and what's not, what is social media and what is not, <laughs> what's real life and what's not. And it's good to keep those things in balance. I posted, I shared something on social media that I, I thought pretty well exposed some hypocrisy in the culture, which is easy to do. A culture that's given over to sin, it's easy to see the hypocrisy that's there in the culture. Uh, and then I had a good friend who is a Christian, uh, not a rebuke necessarily, but very passive, aggressive, you know, I don't know if you really need to, you know, call this out or, you know, we all have our own sins, this kind of thing. And who would to say this or that is right or wrong? Well, I didn't fire back. I didn't comment. Usually I don't answer comments. Honestly, I don't answer many comments. Um... In, on the social media world. Of course, you that are part of the faithful, you know I'm releasing episodes every single week. This is actually my 159th episode on the Faith for My Generation podcast. I was just checking that out earlier today. It's the 159th episode. That's pretty cool. We're going to have to do something awesome for episode 200. And so we're on all the audio podcast channels, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Anywhere you can listen to audio podcasts. We're on YouTube, and we're going to break a 1,000 subscribers on there sooner or later. We're on TikTok, 15,000-some-odd followers on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. If there's a social media platform, uh, if, if I find out that Martians have you know Mars space, I'm going to find a way to make an account and upload the videos there because I want to make Jesus and His Word well-known and famous throughout the earth. I want to be part of publishing the powerful gospel of Jesus. So I've got a lot of things going on, and I've quickly, I quickly learned I can't go around trying to respond to every single 
comment. Most of the time, they are, I would say 95% of the time, they're, you know, amens that, you know, praise God, I'm, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, then there's the, of course, the very few comments that disagree. No, I shouldn't say very few. They're the ones that disagree. Those are the ones you remember the most, right? For whatever reason, that's human nature. We remember those that disagree more so than those that are with us or agree uh, with us. So um, I don't respond to everything, but also I kind of learned something from Jesus, and this is a um, this is a good principle here. Uh, Jesus was asked so many questions during his earthly ministry. I mean, he was asked I think around three hundred some odd different questions during his earthly ministry. There's actually a, a biblical theologian that numbered up all the questions that he was asked, around 300 some odd questions. And do you know that he only directly answered about eight or 10? I can't, forgive me, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a handful of questions that he actually point blank without parable or illustration or teaching example, just point blank answered like eight, nine, 10 questions. So I learned from Jesus not every question needs to be answered. Not every comment needs to be replied to. So I didn't fire back on this 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 comment, this passive aggressive comment. But in, instead, what did I do? Uh, I decided to to record an episode. <laughs> I don't know why that make that makes me laugh, but it does. I, I didn't comment back. Instead, I'm going to do a 30 minute episode. But no, I I, I want to teach. A principle here uh, and I want us to go to the Word of God and I want myself to be in a place that what I do I do it from an understanding of God's truth right that that's where I want to be I want to be in a place where I'm doing what God wants me to do and he's plainly given us instruction through his word you and I as redeemed people children of God sons of God we have the Spirit of God leading us. <clears throat> Romans 8.14 tells us those that are led by the Spirit, they are sons of God. And so that's us. So, with that in mind, let's answer this question. Should you and I, as Christians, call out sin? Should we stand up out in public? And I don't mean necessarily literally, though you can my good friend, my wife's cousin, Josh, he, he's a part of the faithful. He listens all the time. I'm so, uh, I, I was going to say proud, but I mean, I, that, that's not, I, I'm, I'm amazed at, at what he does. And he does street preaching, and he'll go out and, and soul win on the street. And I think that's so, so awesome. Uh, and he'll get in the thick of it with a lot of these things and, 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 and go out and stand at the abortion clinic that's in our local area. And uh, him, along with some other brothers in Christ, do the same thing, pleading with people not to make that decision of, of murdering their child uh, because they've been deceived by this satanic culture. And, and so, yeah, literally stand up and do it. But also just like the... And not just standing on the street corner, and I'm not taking away from that at all. I think that's a bold, good thing and necessary. done some of it myself. I'm not just talking just about standing on a street corner and being a street preacher. I'm saying in everyday life, with friends, with family, at the workplace, when you have the opportunity to voice the truth of God concerning sin, should you take action on it? Or 
what unfortunately many Christians, and I've already given away my my opinion, and it's not just my opinion. I'm, I can back it up with Scripture, and I believe it's scriptural. So I'm giving away the plot already. But some many Christians believe that, ah, you know, we just need to be quiet. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want to just be loud. And after all, will that do anything? Will that win people? And we need to lead people to Jesus by love and how we live and less about what we say. Ah, you know what? Jesus did a whole lot of preaching. Paul, Peter, James, John, Apollos, Barnabas, Silas, they did a whole lot of preaching. John Wesley, John Calvin, (laughs) George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, Smith Wigglesworth, Brother Hagen, they did a lot of preaching. They did a lot of calling to repentance. They did a lot of giving instruction from the Word. They did a lot of correction from the Word of God. I thank God for my pastor, who's also my father, but he is my spiritual father as well. He gives correction when it's necessary. And that's, that's where I want us to be at. Psalms 51, if you didn't catch it, uh, the episode is titled, The Sacrifices of God. Go listen to it. And we go through the entire psalm. But in verse 13, just to kind of give you context, Psalms 51, verses 1 through 12, is a prayer of repentance. This is after, now get this, this is after David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then, in order to cover up the consequence of committing adultery, unwanted pregnancy, he murders Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and one of his mighty men, which means more than likely Uriah was one of the guys that was there with him before he was King David. When he was hiding out in Adullam, and he was in the cave, and Saul was chasing him down, Uriah was probably one of those guys that came to him distressed and without and depressed and broke and busted and disgusted. As it tells us, I think, First Samuel 30, when many men that were distressed and without and broke and busted and disgusted, <laughs> as I like to say, they came to David and they all grew mighty <clears throat> in serving the Lord and fighting the battles of the Lord for Israel. He was probably one of those guys. And then David kills him. He betrays him, murders him, after committing adultery with his wife. So David repents after he's called out by the prophet Nathan. So notice that Nathan calls him out for his sin. So David repents. And that's what you see in verses 1 through 12 in Psalm 51. Then after this prayer of repentance, notice what verse 13 and 14 say. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, Uriah's murder. O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. David, in this prayer of repentance, He doesn't just say, you know, Lord, forgive me of my sins, which he does. He doesn't just show us that in Psalm 51, verse 5, the doctrine of original sin, that I was born in iniquity, therefore I have a nature of sin, and that's why I sinned. 
He doesn't just say, Lord, cleanse me and I'll be clean or create in me, a, verse 10, this famous verse, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He doesn't just say, don't take away your spirit. Don't allow me to backslide and not be able to be brought back to you again. Let me be able to repent and come back to you. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold my spirit. Then he says, at the point I have been forgiven, at the point I receive forgiveness from you, Lord, then... After that, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted. Then, when I'm delivered from the guilt of my bloodshed, the God of my salvation, at that point, my tongue is going to sing songs of your righteousness. This is where I want us to be as, as Christians. Sometimes, you and I can get caught up in the sins of our past that we have been forgiven of and the blood has washed us clean of it. In fact, let me read this. This is a powerful promise. You've probably heard it before. If you haven't, this will set you free. 1 John verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 9. This is a powerful promise to keep in the back of your mind at all times. If, man, two letters, big, big word though. If, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a promise. We have, the book of Hebrews tells us, an advocate with the Father. Jesus stands on our behalf, the the mediator of the covenant. And if we sin, we can repent, ask for forgiveness. God is just and faithful to forgive us not and not stop there. Forgiveness is good, but God goes a step further. He forgives us, then he cleanses us, making us clean. And that's what Jesus uh, that's what David's saying, Psalm 51:10, created me a clean heart. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Repentance brings forgiveness and cleanliness, I guess you might say, but cleanliness makes us think, at least I think, like washing of the hands, which probably isn't a bad example. You know, my daughter and I, we were just, uh, my wife was working a wedding uh, this weekend, and so it was just me and Naomi hanging out, and one of the things we did for about an hour or so, we went outside, and we have uh, a garden. Uh, um, We've got the biggest garden we've ever had this year. I'm so pumped about growing stuff. And we've got to potatoes and onions and carrots growing. We've got a flower bed. We've got tomato plants, pepper plants, jalapeno plants, squash, zucchini, cucumber. Uh, I think that's it. Pumpkins. So my daughter and I, we were out there planting. And wouldn't you know it, pl- digging around in that beautiful, black, rich soil. I got some organic topsoil that's full of wood ash and and just good, rich, vibrant soil that has bugs and worms growing in it. Some of y'all are freaking out. But that's life. That's what's alive. It's alive, man. And so after we were digging around in those raised beds for about an hour, my daughter and I, we needed to get cleaned up. I had, we had dirt under our fingernails and, 
and our knees were dirty from getting down in the you know on our hands and knees and we had dirt on our ankles and shins and forearms and some on our face because you're out there and you're sweating and then you get itchy and you scratch your face and you leave a black mark from the black dirt that's on your fingers now it's on your face we need to be cleansed up cleaned up and that's what happens when you repent you're forgiven and then you're cleansed. So we came in and we washed up. We, I put Naomi in the bathtub. It's one of her favorite things to do to play, just play in the bath. So I, I washed up. She's in the bath. And we get real good and clean. You wouldn't even know that we were out there based on our appearance. It's no different when you repent of your sins. God forgives you. He doesn't hold something over your head. He forgives you and then he cleanses you. Now, to the point I want you to see is this. David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. I want to read this. This comes out of the Bible Believer's Commentary by William MacDonald. He wrote this, and I think it was too good to improve on, so let me just read it to you. One byproduct of my forgiveness will be that I will aggressively witness to other transgressors and tell them your ways of pardon and peace. When they hear of what you have done for me, they will want to return to you also. That was kind of like a, that was William MacDonald putting himself in the place of David and kind of fleshing out this idea that's in verse 13. Lord, forgive me. And I thank you that when I'm forgiven and I'm cleansed, it doesn't just benefit me. It's going to benefit other people. Now, here's the thing. You are responsible for other people being benefit, benefiting from your forgiveness. Wow, I've never thought of it about that way. I love the Word of God. When you start studying the Word of God, it comes alive. And right now, in this moment, when I'm recording this episode, that just kind of like clicked in my heart. When I'm forgiven and cleansed of my sins... It doesn't just benefit me, it becomes a blessing to others as well. Now, how can it become a blessing to others as well? They didn't do the sinning. I'm the one that sinned. But when I repent and I'm forgiven and cleansed, it doesn't just bless me, it blesses others. So how does it bless others? I will teach them the ways of God so that they too can repent and be forgiven. Verse 14, when I'm delivered from guilt by the God of my salvation, my tongue's going to sing songs of the righteousness of God. See, you and I, when we are freed from sin, we should no longer walk around with guilt and shame for the sin which we have been forgiven of. And I'm going to show you an example here in just a few moments. One of the most powerful examples, I think, in Scripture. But before we get there, I want to give you a few points. First off, the sin that you repent of no longer has power over you. Repentance has to do with a change of the heart and a change of the mind. And when you really, really repent, when you change, when you ask for forgiveness, you don't want to have a part of that sin anymore, and you turn from it. And at the point that you do that, you are free from it. And that sin no longer has a power over you. Romans chapter 6, there's two points we're going to get out of this one. But the first one is when you repent of sin, it no longer has power over you. Romans 6, verse 12, 13, and 14. I love these verses. I love them. Listen to them. Therefore, do not let sin 
reign, R-E-I-G-N, like the reign of a king, reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lust. Notice that. Don't let sin reign in your body that you obey, you obey, submit, yield to its command. Verse 13, do not present your members, that's our hands, feet, our eyes, our ears, our tongue, do not present your members as instruments, could also be translated weapons, of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. You and I are not to live under the dominion, the control, the sway, the power of sin. Meaning that when you repent of sin, it no longer has power over you. Now, that does not mean... Some people go so far, they go past the biblical principle here, the biblical truth, and they want to make a statement, well, Christians, they don't ever sin. No, Christians can sin. Some people say that, though. Well, Christians can't sin because they like get this convoluted, unscriptural idea of grace as if when a Christian does, if a Christian murders someone, it's a different type of sin than a sinner murdering someone. Murder is murder, and murder will take, if you murder someone and you do not repent of it, you will go to hell. <clears throat> if you commit adultery, if you live in fornication, if you're a liar, whether you have professed your faith in Jesus or not, uh, those sins require death. Ezekiel 18 says two different times, the soul that sins must die. Now, I may be rocking some theological boats right now, but I cannot walk away from Scripture and say a Christian can live in sin on their way to heaven. I've been raked over the coals before, so I've already been burnt by those coals, and I'm fine to say it again. <laughs> I cannot see scripturally now, people may form opinions. People can share commentaries. There may be theologians of days gone by or today that would disagree. Fine. Whatever. But if you go scripture to scripture, verse to verse, I can't come away from it. I can live like hell on my way to heaven. Now, some people say, well, you were never saved to begin with. Okay, whatever. Fine. Some people will say, well, you can backslide, which I would agree. The entire book of Jeremiah talks about backsliding. I want to make that point very clear, though. Just because I'm free from sin does not mean I cannot go back into the slavery of sin. But I shouldn't. I don't have to. There's no reason for me to live under the dominion of sin. And verse 13 says, Do not present yourself, your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin. Meaning it's a command. Meaning you and I have the choice. Romans 6.13 is a command, and every command implies a choice. Take it all the way back to the beginning. Do not, eat of the free, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, implying you have a choice, but you will be disobedient if you eat of this tree. Speaking to Adam and Eve. A command, an instruction, implies there is a choice. So, the sin you repent of no longer has dominion over you. Live in righteousness. 
live under the power of grace. Don't live under the dominion of sin. The second thing I want you to see is this. When you are forgiven and cleansed, you can become a weapon of righteousness. I want you to say this out loud wherever you're listening. Say this out loud. Say, I am a weapon in the hand of God. I am a weapon in the hand of God. That's how I want you to see yourself as a fierce, powerful weapon in the hand of God, wreaking havoc against the kingdom of hell. I want you to see yourself that way. I want you to see yourself as like a Holy Ghost Terminator. I'll be back. <laughs> I want you to see yourself as a, as a Holy Ghost Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving myself away. I grew up on 80, uh, late 80s uh, action films. I, wanna, I want you to see yourself as a Holy Ghost Rambo. All right, that's enough examples because if you hadn't caught it this part, you know, we had a different childhood. <laughs> I want you to see yourself as a weapon of God to wreak havoc. I want you to see yourself in Christ, not in your own strength, but in the strength of God. When you wake up, the devil says, Oh, no. She woke up again. Oh, no. He's awake again. Oh, no. He's praying again. Oh, no. She's witnessing again. I want, I, want this, I want Satan to wet his pants when he sees you leaving your house and you're going to come in contact with the world and share the goodness of God and win people to Jesus and serve God and His church. Because you have become a weapon of righteousness. That's what, that's what David is expressing in Psalm 51, 13 and 14. After I've been cleansed and forgiven, Lord, it's at that point I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. And sinners are going to be converted. Sinners are going to be converted. I've got to look that up. Let's look it up. I want to see. I'm going to open up my King James and the Strongs. i got to... Bible app here. I'm going to see converted. I want to see that word. So converted. Uh, verse 13 for context. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. So converted to turn back literally or figuratively is the idea of return to the starting point. I like that. Generally to retreat uh, to build again, mm, to bring back, to bring home, to call to mind. So there's, there's many implications, but in this sense, it's to bring back the sinner to the place of righteousness. To bring the sinner back to a place of right standing with God. At the point that I've received forgiveness... At the point that I'm cleansed, Lord, I'm going to become a weapon in your hand to teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted. At the point that I'm delivered from my guilt, I'm going to sing songs of your righteousness. Verse 14. Man, I love that. I love that. This is what Jesus told. This is my favorite encounter that Jesus has with anybody in his earthly ministry. It's Mark chapter 5. I can, I can boldly say that, and it has been the, the case for a long time. 
This has been one of my favorite passages where Jesus encounters someone. Mark chapter 5, you can read the whole first 20 verses, but this demoniac man who had a thousand, two thousand, three thousand demons in him, he's, he's set free. He's living among the graves, the cemetery. People try to chain him up, tie him up, but through the demonic strength he had, supernatural strength, he would break through those chains, those ropes every time. His city lives in terror of him. Jesus shows up. Jesus' pinky toe touches the sand on the Gadarenes of the shore. And this demoniac man who cannot be controlled by an entire city runs to Jesus, falls on his knee, begs of him, what do you have to do with us, Lord? Jesus sets him free. This man, rightfully so, in his right mind, is sitting and talking with Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, no, you can't go with me right now. Go back home. Verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Fast forward to Mark chapter 7, when Jesus comes back to that region, the people are on the seashore waiting for Jesus. The very people that told Jesus, please leave, get out of here, we don't want anything to do with you. We couldn't control the demoniac man, now you show up and you freed him from this power? Obviously you're greater than the power that was in him and we're afraid, please leave. So when Jesus comes back, they, th they bring out their sick and Jesus heals and preaches the kingdom. But how does he do it? He sends one man. Whew, come on, somebody. He sends one person back home. You go tell your testimony. You go tell people how I set you free. You go tell people the great things the Lord's done for you. Go show them. They'll remember. You were the crazy man that lived in the cemetery that couldn't be controlled, bound up, or tied down. And now you're in your right mind, you're clothed, and you're speaking of the things of God. You go tell them. That man became a weapon in the hand of God. That one man turned a city, and the city's named Decapolis, which very well means it could be a a, a capital city of 10 villages or cities. I mean, this one man opened up a region to the gospel, to Jesus. Do not underestimate your testimony. It will open up the hearts of many to Jesus in Jesus' name. Now, Mark, uh, 2 Corinthians, before we finish up here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 17, powerful redemption promise. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry. We've been given a ministry. You have a ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You've been given a ministry. You've been given a word. Verse 20, 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You've been given a ministry. You've been given a word. You've been given a calling. You're an ambassador for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So verse 17 shows salvation. It shows the new creation experience. It shows that we've been saved, set free, and made a brand new creation. And so because we are saved, cleansed, forgiven, washed clean, set free, what do we do now? We reconcile. We bring people back into right standing with God. That's what David was saying by the Spirit in Psalm 51, 13, and 14. Then... Well, what's the then? After I've been forgiven and cleansed, then I'm going to teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted. The New Testament version is 2 Corinthians 5. Man, I feel this welling up in my spirit. I pray you can feel this as you're watching, as you're listening, in your spirit as well. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. 2 Corinthians 5, I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I've been given the word of reconciliation. I've been called to be an ambassador. As if God himself were pleading through us, be reconciled, be made right with God. So the answer to the question that I opened up this episode with is yes. You and I not only have the right we have the responsibility to God and to the transgressor. We must call out sin. We must stand up for righteousness. You and I, the faithful, we must call out sin. Now again, it's not to browbeat, beat up, hurt, harm, be legalistic. It's not our opinions we're calling out. It's not our ideas or our thoughts. But scripturally, when we see the truth of God's word being transgressed, we should call it out for the sake of the transgressor so that they can, can be converted, they can repent and be brought in the right standing with God. And you should never allow your past to imprison you from doing that. Rather, your past should empower you to do it. It shouldn't be, what I what, how am I supposed to? One, you need to live right and pure before God because if you don't, you won't have a pure conscience. Your heart, 1 John 3, your own heart will condemn you. You're convicted of sin. If you're living in sin right now, you need to repent. If you're playing around with sin, you need to repent because it will rob you of your bold, among many things, it will rob you of your boldness to stand up for God. But living with God, now, so if you're clean and you're in right standing with God, don't allow Satan to intimidate you. Don't allow your past to keep you from declaring the goodness of God. Rather, it should empower you to share your testimony so that you can win people to Jesus. Look at this, Acts, 19, Acts 9 verse 19 So when he, Saul, who would later be called Paul, had received food, he was strengthened. This is after the road to Damascus experience. This is after Saul believes on Jesus, but he's blind for three days. Ananias prays for him. He doesn't eat for three days, prays for him. 
He breaks his fast. His eyes are opened. He eats some food. He's strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Notice this, verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased in all the more more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is Jesus, that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul didn't waste any time. Saul went from murdering Christians to preaching Christ. Immediately, verse 20, he preached Christ. Now there's a time where he goes out into the desert for several years and gets the revelation of redemption and the gospel of grace and he gets this understanding of this New Testament reality. There is that, but he immediately goes to preach Christ. He immediately. He was on his way to Damascus to imprison and kill some Christians. Get saved. Eh, since I'm here anyway, I'm going to be a preacher. And preaches and goes wholeheartedly into the evangelistic ministry and begins to preach Christ. Wow. I don't think you or me... I don't know your story. I really don't. But I'm going to guess you and I weren't out murdering Christians yesterday. If you are, there's hope for you. Repent. Turn yourself in as, as well, please. <laughs> but Saul, Paul, Paul, we know him as Paul, he went from murdering Christians one day to preaching Christ the next. He did not allow what he did wrong to imprison him from turning other people from their wrongs. Now, you don't do it from a place of pride. You do it from a place of humility and of love. But if you really love people, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. If you really love people, you'll call out sin, not to hurt and harm someone, but to save them from the damnation eternally and currently on this earth, what sin will do. Sin kills, steals, and destroys. Satan is a terrible taskmaster. We want no one to be under his servitude. And the only way they can be set free is by you and I teaching them the ways of God so that sinners might be converted. I'm so thankful that you join me on this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. And I do greatly want to encourage you and sincerely empower you with the Holy Spirit. Hey, be bold to declare the truth of God. Because here's the thing, Satan, if he can't keep you from believing in Jesus, his next step is to keep you from telling other people about believing in Jesus. If he can't get you, he wants to stop you from getting others to turn toward Christ. And we won't let that happen. You know what I feel prompted? Let's pray. I want to pray for you, the faithful. Father, I lift up every member of the faithful, myself included, Lord. Empower us and cause us to be very, very bold for you. Lord, we receive 
cleansing and forgiveness of sins. We thank you that we're in right standing, not because of what we have done, but by the precious shed blood of Christ, we're cleansed and forgiven, forgiven and cleansed. And because of that, we, according to the book of Hebrews, we walk boldly before you, we boldly enter in your presence, and we will boldly, like Acts chapter 4, declare the truth of your word. We want to see people turn from sin. The very sins that used to enslave us, we want to set others free from that sin. And that happens by sharing your truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's the key. That's what I want you to get in your heart. The, the sins that Satan deceived me with, not only did he lose me and I'm no longer a slave to those sins, I'm going to take what I know in Christ and set others free. It's like you know breaking out of a jail cell and you go running down the hall, unlocking every cell down the hall and letting out other people who've been imprisoned as well. That's the power of the gospel. And that's what you and I, members of the faith, are going to do. I'm so thankful for you. I'm appreciative of you. And I can't wait to see what God's going to continue to do in your life. Because I know this, you and I are sold out for Christ and we're never turning back because we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.